of Can You Dig It, a podcast by Silver Screen and Roll and SB Nation Lakers community. I am one of your hosts of this show, uh, Christian Rivas. I almost said Jacob Rude. I genuinely almost said I am one of your hosts, Jacob Rude, but that is not me. That's that's you, Jacob. I mean, everybody wants to be me, so I can't really blame you. <laughs> I, you know, um, it, Judging by where you live alone, no. <laughs> I think I'm pretty all right. Yeah, I would much rather want to be somebody living in California. It is currently I just, like 20 degrees out, so I don't even want you to tell me what the weather le- is like out there. <laughs> so let that just stand well, on its own. I won't tell you the weather, but I'll tell you right before we jumped on this pod, I had some Olive Garden, which I'm guessing is the leading Italian cuisine <laughs> where you live. Buddy... That's on you for thinking we have an Olive Garden anywhere nearby. Oh, no. I've I've had Olive Garden, but there is not one. I don't even know where the closest one is. What is it? Is it Fazoli's? Is that what you guys have? If you want... Leading Italian cuisine here is Pizza Hut. There's no Italian food Oh, no. Jacob! I, I I almost feel so bad that I want to start a GoFundMe to get you out of there. Every... You haven't sold me on one thing that would make me want to live there. Do you like corn? I do. You know, I do really like corn. <laughs> That's an interesting. We have lots of that. There you go. That's a one thing I can sell you on. Uh, well, I am clearly in a good mood, and it's not just because I had Olive Garden. Uh, the Lakers also won in Utah for like the first time in forever. It feels, uh, and they looked like. As as much as has been made about their schedule being weak, and truth to tell you the truth, I bought into a lot of that because you look at the, their record against teams that are above five hundred. They're with with a win over Denver. They're like four and three now, but prior to that, they were like three and three with a loss to Dallas. Whatever, all in the trash can now because the Lakers beat the Utah Jazz one twenty one ninety six. The Jazz did not have Mike Conley, but Mike Conley hasn't been super great this season, so uh, I I don't know what was going on. I think Mike Conley could have kept Rajon Rondo from going fourteen nine and twelve, uh, <laughs> but even then, I it was it was such a weird game. Rondo looked great. Dwight Howard made a three pointer. Uh, it was it was an all around good game, not just from LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who by the way. Really good at basketball. It was was an all-around team effort. We have arguably the best team in 2019, and we'd probably have one of the best teams in 2009 as well. It's it's truly a decade-defining team. Uh, This, I I can't remember a 24-hour stretch like the one the Lakers just had. Um destroying Utah after kind of grinding out a win at Denver. This Utah game never really felt close. Um, nope. Yeah, that was – this – I thought – well, when we were recording this last night. So I thought Tuesday's win was the best win of the season. And they followed that up with, I think, the best win of the season again. Um, right. Just 
I I understood the argument for them playing a week schedule because I mean they did play a week schedule. The yeah. counter to it though was that it wasn't like they were just squeaking by these teams. Like they were just destroying a lot of pretty much every weak team put in front of them. Um and it, I I mean admittedly I was a little worried when on Sunday when Luca just kind of torched them in that third quarter. Um but I think that that was probably needed to make them realize some of the bad habits they'd been building, and um, they corrected them. I think that's a big thing with his team is that they, whenever they have an issue, like they didn't rebound well Sunday, they got called out on it, and on Tuesday they crushed Denver on the boards. So it's stuff like that where I think these guys respond really well Um not only after losses, but when when things are pointed out to them, basically, like that. Yeah, I, and that's something I've really admired about this team before we get too deep into the game specifically is it seems from the moment the season started, and, I mean, with the exception of the Clippers' loss, uh, they've only lost two games since then. So they've had, they've had a lot to be excited about. Um, but they haven't let that get to their head. I mean, they've stayed even keeled is the the term. I know LeBron James says even kneeled all the time. <laughs> I don't. That's not it. It's even keeled. Um, but yeah, they they stay level headed. They know not to get too high on these wins or not too low on the losses. And after all, it's what the twenty second game of the regular season. Uh, so it's even kind of hard to read into the way they're playing right now. But the thing you can read into is the the habits they're building, the defense they're playing, led by Anthony Davis, who made two-time Defensive Player of the Year Rudy Gobert just disappear. Mm-hmm. And I think if the if the season ended today, Anthony Davis would have my vote for Defensive Player of the Year, and I don't think it's particularly close. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't, I'm not sure who you would even have in a debate with it. I mean, Gobert's probably going to be there. Draymond hasn't played much. I mean, I don't. I mean, it's AD, and it's not close right now. It's just the it. He's done so many things throughout the year, but he's had multiple games now where, um, the Kings game at home, the Pelicans game on the road, um, and then that Denver game where he's made huge defensive plays with the game on the line, um to seal the win the the Denver game he I think it was Murray he got switched on too late and or right around the rim and he just ate his shot up um and then that Pelican game he he made a great read and and came away with a a steal I mean those are going to be the ones that kind of be that are in the highlights but he's so incredible defensively and these last couple nights he's taken two of the best bigs in basketball, not just in the Western Conference, and just, as you said, just kind of erased him. Like, Gobert was pretty much a non-factor tonight. He finished minus eight, and Jokic was terrible on Tuesday. Um, yeah. And late in the game, when it came to crunch time, they just abused him in the pick and roll, um, and AD kind of had his way with him. So he's he's... I think the runaway favorite right now for defensive player of the year. And he's also like top five in MVP voting right now too. 
Yeah. I, I tweeted yesterday that I think the Lakers have front, not front runners. The Lakers have three, three guys in the mix for three different end of the season awards. It's uh, Frank Vogel for coach of the year. Because I think what the way Frank Vogel, how quickly he's turned this team around and made him look like a championship contender right off the bat is super, super impressive. Um, Anthony Davis for Defensive Player of the Year. And you can make an argument for Anthony Davis and LeBron James for MVP. I think due to just how many times LeBron's won the award, he's not going to win an MVP again in his career, even if he puts up, like, disgusting numbers. Uh, but I think AD's top five in, in my MVP ballot right now. Um, and I think I don't, I don't think he'll win it. I think right now, who do you have above AD? Assuming you have anybody. There's Giannis. And Harden, the usual suspects. Uh, and then I know everybody wants to put Luka in the conversation, which I think is fair. He's had a really, really good season, especially for a sophomore on a Mavericks team that nobody expected to make the playoffs, I don't think, this year, especially not as high as they're seated right now. I would put... Whew, I'd probably say Giannis is first, and then LeBron is second. I don't know. I mean, I see Harden putting up... 40 a game, but I think in some ways it's almost like LeBron where it's like Harden fatigue. Like, yeah, you, you do this every year on ridiculous usage, and then we get to the playoffs and it never works. Um, and kind of the opposite of that with Harden and LeBron is Luka because he's just kind of the new face. He's right. damn near averaging a triple-double, which I did not realize before the Pelicans or the uh, Mavericks game on Sunday. Um, he has been absolutely incredible. Like really, really good. They're the fourth seed right now. I would. And Kristaps Porzingis hasn't been like good. Yeah, outstanding by any stretch of the imagination. He's averaging thirty point seven points per game. The next leading scorer on the Mavericks is Kristaps Porzingis, uh, who is averaging sixteen point six points per game on thirty nine point two percent shooting from the field. So yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, so I think I would probably have LeBron behind Giannis, then Harden, then Luka, then whoever after. And probably AD after that, honestly. And that'd probably yeah. be my top five. Um, but the fact the Lakers have two of those top five. I mean, I think Vogel right now is the runaway for coach of the year. Um, it'll be interesting to see because, yeah, I don't know how many times it's happened if it's ever happened that a team's won MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and, and Coach, coach of, the of the Year. year. Yeah. MJ might have done it during some of those years in Phil Jackson, but I'm sure it's, well, a, it's a short list of, I mean, just guys, it, it would probably almost always be guys that have won Defensive Player of the Year and MVP, because I don't know how many times a team's had an MVP and a Defensive Player of the Year, and they're different people. Yeah, uh, let me let me... Because I, I feel like if if it were to happen, it would have been Draymond, Steph, and Kerr. Oh, um, yeah, I bet. Yeah, that makes sense. But Let's see. Yeah, the only other time I could think of it would be like the MJ Bulls during the 90s. or I don't. The Defensive Player of the Year award hasn't been around for all that long. So I don't know yeah. that really there's any other... Unless I'm just completely forgetting or it just kind of was a random one-year thing that I, I don't know that anyone else has done it. Okay, yeah. So the year Draymond won it, Russ was the MVP, and Mike D'Antoni 
was coach of the year. So, so yeah, I I can't. I honestly, off the top of my head, I can't. I couldn't tell you the last time it was done. Uh, but it, it's not just like a theoretical thing that they could win it. I think right now it's likely that at least coach of the year and and defensive player in the year go to Anthony Davis and Frank Vogel. MVP is a toss up every year. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if they gave it to Giannis again. Although Luca again is making his run. Like there's been so much Luca buzz this season that I'd be legitimately surprised if he didn't finish in the top three voting for, for MVP. Is there like a, a win threshold that they would have to meet for you to really consider him the favorite? Um no, because I mean Westbrook won MVP. For what being the sixth seed, seventh seed? Yeah, it was like a mid to high forty win team. Yeah, I I'm just so impressed by by what the Mavericks have done. Like their offense is historically great, uh, and that that's a good Mavericks team. The Lakers lost to the other day. I'm not even mad about that loss. It was a little disappointing, and I mentioned this in a story I wrote over at SilverScreenAndRoll.com uh, earlier in the week, but. What was disappointing about their loss to the Mavericks, and it wasn't all that disappointing because, I mean, you can't win every game. They had won 10 games straight prior to that game. But what was disappointing about it is that they were a good team, and you want the Lakers to get up and win those games to, like, point at the naysayers and go, it's not just a weak schedule. We can actually beat good teams. Uh, They did beat the Mavericks earlier in the season, probably worth noting. On the road. Uh, But, right. But wins against the Denver Nuggets... And the Utah Jazz on the road are pretty, pretty impressive, if, if, I, if I had to say. Uh, so first, I was looking while you were talking. The last time this this treble or whatever you want to call it happened, it was definitely one of those one-year wonder things. 2000-2001, Dikembe Mutombo was Defensive Player of the Year. Allen mm. Iverson was MVP. Larry Brown was Coach of the Year, all for the Sixers. Oh, uh, right. So I would have never guessed that. Um, <laughs> Neither would have I. I. The, but, yeah, like I was saying earlier, I'm I'm glad that the Lakers came back and played fairly quickly after that Mavericks game because the takes were just fired off. The, the first good team the Lakers played in a while, and they lost. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would stack up this this back-to-back wins against any that any team has had this year basically because right. um that was the three seed and the six seed both on the on the yeah, road both on the road yeah. back on a back-to-back um i i was talking to someone about this earlier tonight it's becoming increasingly clear that it's the lakers and the clippers in a tier of their own in the western conference absolutely yeah i i think Houston's looked a little better since Capella came back. Uh, but if if you're over here protesting the NBA over a call with, what was it, like 12 minutes left in the game? It was something like that. You blew a huge lead. Like It's almost embarrassing right. that you had to resort to uh, <laughs> to filing a grievance or whatever, a petition, whatever it is, to, to get the game replayed or whatever. Yeah, I agree. And I've said this all season that, I, th- I think it's great the Lakers are the number one seed in the Western Conference because, especially if you're talking about the Lakers-Clippers series, 
Well, actually, I guess I was going to say, especially if we were talking about a Lakers-Clippers series, home court advantage matters, but it doesn't. Yeah, because, because the, they both play at Staples Center. Yeah, and it'll almost always be a Lakers game, or right. a Lakers home game. But, but point being, um, home court advantage is important in any series, um, whether it be the Western Conference Finals, NBA Finals, first round, yada, yada. Uh, but the Lakers really only need to be better than one or two teams. The Clippers, the Milwaukee Bucks... And I think that's about it. Maybe the Celtics. Yeah. I was going to say the Celtics or the 76ers because that Celtics Clippers game earlier or sorry, not earlier this month. It's it's December now. Christmas is by the time we post this is 19 days away. That is horrifying. Um, But that Celtics Clippers game last month was very fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think the Celtics, especially if they make a trade, that has been the caveat included with the Celtics for the last <laughs> half decade, though. Yeah, right. But, the okay, so my thing is, and the reason I'm so high on the Cl- the oh, I almost said the Clippers. I am high on the Clippers, but I'm also high on the Lakers. The reason I'm so high on them is also the reason I was probably prematurely skeptical in the season to a fault. And, and I forgive myself a little bit because, listen, man. Over the past four seasons, me, an actual psychopath, <laughs> talked myself into the Lakers making a playoff run with the rosters they've had. Um, so I am just prone to be skeptical going into the season, especially with all that stuff that happened with Magic Johnson and the rumors of Rob Palenka not knowing the cap. Just a, really a turbulent summer. Point being... I was most interested in seeing the Lakers go up against teams with elite bigs like the Utah Jazz, the Denver Nuggets, the Philadelphia 76ers, who I don't believe they played yet, uh, and the Milwaukee Bucks, who they definitely haven't played yet. Uh, although Milwaukee doesn't exactly have elite bigs. They're just big with Brooke, Robin, well, Giannis. Well, their elite all big is Giannis, but he's not the, yeah. that type of elite big. Right, right, right. Point is, Lakers have seen the Nuggets, the Jazz, and they've looked really good against them. Because I know that the argument is a lot of teams have better backcourts than the Lakers. No disrespect to uh, Alex Caruso. But a lot of teams have better backcourts than the Lakers. The question was, who has a better front court than the Lakers? And the answer to that question is, I don't think anybody. I think Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are very, very good. And I think they'll give the Lakers a run for their money in the playoff series. They'll give them a run for their money even before then when they meet on Christmas. But LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the way they play together and how easily it is for them to dominate, I I think they're the best duo in the NBA. I think that you're right. Paul George and Kawhi um, would give them problems. Anthony Davis, there's nobody on that Clipper team that can stop him. Um, and especially now that they've gotten into a better flow of using him, um, because as it is becoming increasingly clear, those are the two best teams. It's also becoming increasingly clear that that first game was just a really odd game, um, for both sides. And I mean, that's kind of what we said after it happened that that game, just the whole kind of atmosphere around it and the fact that the Lakers were just this whole new team um, 
and they're playing. I mean, that's been their biggest game of the year. In where, as you said, into December, um, and that was the first night of the year. So it's not entirely surprising that they came out the way they did. I am increasingly excited for Christmas Day, but um, yeah, I would say this is the best front court in the NBA. LeBron, AD, and whichever um, center you you wish. Uh, right. There isn't. That's it's a really interesting thing the Lakers did, and kind of zagging where everyone else is zigging and everybody's focused on going small, and the Lakers went big because Anthony Davis is just that versatile. Like a lot of people saw getting Anthony Davis and saying, "Awesome, you have the best small ball center. You don't need any other big guys." And credit to the Lakers who went. Yeah, but what if we also got big guys and then used Anthony Davis as a four because he's so athletic and so versatile? And right. it's worked incredibly well. Um, they still, Vogel has no problem going to him at the five um, in some of these big games. As you saw against uh, Denver, he, he went to the five. Um, they ran some screen and rolls with him and and LeBron, and that was that. And we saw Utah earlier in the year at home. He went to the five at, in the second half and absolutely blew them out of the water. But um, this is, I think, easily the best front court in the NBA. Um, and, it, I mean, I think this is the best Anthony Davis has, been, has ever played and one of the best seasons LeBron's had. I I hesitate to say it's his best because he's been incredible. But, I mean, this is a kind of a vintage LeBron season, which we weren't even sure we were going to get after how last year went. Right. I think that's all fair. I mean, he's leading the league in assists. Which is wild. Yeah. He had 12 assists, which is tied for the team high with Rajon Rondo, who, again, looked (laughs) surprisingly well. And I think on the season, he's shooting something like a ridiculous, like 47.6% from three. Yeah, like, that's the other thing. At what point is this, like, not just kind of a fast start and actually he (laughs) might be a good three-point shooter now? Yeah, I I don't. I mean, Vogel talked about it over the summer, how much he improved as a three-point shooter. And this the, the... Slivers of hope have been there over the last two years, but for him to be an elite three-point shooter, which I I was look I was browsing around Synergy earlier today, and he's in like the 99th percentile of like wide open three-point shooting. Yeah, so which I just is, pulled it up on unguarded catch and shoots. He is in the hundredth percentile, two point <laughs> five points per possession on unguarded catch and shoots. He's shooting eighty-three point three percent. It's on 12 field goal attempts. He's 10 of 12. Like, I'm trying to scroll down to the spot up. He's, like, legitimately been a good three-point shooter. I act, I had kind of a similar conversation in that how well does he have to shoot, I guess what percentage does he have to shoot for teams to start respecting him as a shooter? Yeah, this these numbers are silly. Uh, overall spot up, <laughs> he's in the 98th percentile. Uh, on no dribble jumpers, he's averaging two point one points per possession. Um, I mean, is there is there a point where like 
teams are going to have to actually respect him as a three-point shooter, which is never anything I would have thought. I don't know, but he didn't work with lethal, lethal shooter this past <laughs> summer, and he's he's shooting those percentages, which is impressive. That above all else is impressive. And uh, the one guy that did work, or I shouldn't say one, because I think Anthony Davis yeah, and Contavious Caldwell Pope worked with him too. Uh, but it's been a rough go for Kyle Kuzma, who, as anybody that listens to this podcast, knows I'm a really big Kuzma fan. I was really hopeful that he could buy into that number three role in the offense. And I think it's it's a little early to say that he's not going to because uh, he's been battling injuries. Vogel said something about him being under the weather, which I don't doubt uh, in our interview with Danny Green later in the show. Uh, you'll hear Danny talking about the bug that's going around in the locker room. Uh, but what worries me a little bit is just how often he's making like silly mistakes. I think at least once a game he gets called for traveling, and it's not like a different traveling call every time. It's the same call. Offensive fouls, just things that we didn't see a lot from him these past two seasons and I can't put my finger on why. So maybe you can help me out, Jacob. Oh, I have, I don't, I don't really have an answer. It's been such a weird year for him. Like I don't even really, I was optimistic too, that he could come in and be that, uh, I don't want to say third star, but like you said, be that third option. And like, he hasn't been that third option, but he's also just kind of been one of the guys, basically, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, he hasn't really... He's just been, like, another role player for them that will occasionally get hot, help them win some games, but, like, will also occasionally play really bad and be out of games. And so I guess it depends on what your expectations for him were. Um, which I think they should have been high, but I don't know. It's been such a weird year. He's still struggling on, on his shooting and yeah, on catch and shoot three pointers, he's shooting 33.9% on wide open ones. He's still shooting just 36%. So like, but he's doing a lot of other things. He's still being a productive player. It's just not really in any of the ways we thought he would be. Yeah, and I I look at his net rating and his box plus minus and his VORP, and it's all the highest it's been in his career. Like, even his effective field goal percentage is up from it from when it's been the past two seasons. Uh, but, and, and I'm not saying none of those things are valuable. Like, he's playing defense at a higher level than he ever has. The thing with him, though, is the whole selling point with him is the fact that he can get hot in a hurry, make wide-open three-point shooters in theory, and hurt you in a lot of ways with with the ways he can score. And that was tr- that's been true for some games this season. And you see why somebody like him would be valuable for the Lakers to have off the bench. The only th- the thing is with him is I think in order for him to be as valuable as he can be, 
he has to be one of the primary options on offense. And with LeBron James and Anthony Davis being on the floor at all times, I think that's just kind of hard. I haven't, and I I don't know if it has anything to do with Kuzma shooting percentages, but it it just doesn't seem like LeBron or AD have really looked for him this season or that Frank Vogel's running anything for him. And I wonder how much of that has to do with how he's looked in practice and, and how much they believe in him to carry the offense. Yeah, I mean, no matter what the, the cause is, he just hasn't really fit in as the third guy as well as we thought. Um, and kind of some of his struggles there, like even when he's the second guy on the court at times, he's struggling. Um, but... I mean, I think it may end up just being a matter of at some point we're just going to have to recalibrate our expectations for him because he's still a really useful role player who, I mean, on certain nights he's going to light it up that the Bulls game um, on the road, he had a huge hand in winning that. The Phoenix game on the road, he hit a couple big threes late. Stuff like that. Um, The Pelicans game, he played well. So, I mean, he's having the moments. It's just, I guess we, I mean, there's, I guess we expected more out of him. Um, Even if he hasn't provided that, I mean, if you just look at it in terms of just kind of his value, he's still on a remarkably cheap deal providing a lot of value for this team. And like you said, he, I mean, defensive-wise, he's, uh, among basically rotation player guys, he's third on the team in uh, defensive rating. Uh, well, I guess fourth. I'm not including Dudley. He's behind Quinn Cook, technically, is second on the team in defensive rating somehow. <laughs> and it hasn't yeah. gone down. I don't know if that's because of lack of minutes. Yeah, Caruso's, yeah. Caruso's, Caruso's been up there first, all season. Quinn Cook's second, Avery Bradley's third, and Kuzma's fourth. Um, so, like, I know that's not defensive defensive impact is just kind of hard to put into any single number no matter how you do it but i mean i think that matches the eye test i thought i think he's played well defensively which in and of itself is a huge bonus it's just the areas where that are the loudest the scoring and things like that he hasn't played as well so it's i mean i don't want to say it's coming across as he's having a a poor season because he hasn't had a I mean, I think it has been a poor season, but it's still a productive season. Right. And I, th- I think the argument with Kuzma, and it's one that I've been going back and forth on on Twitter today, is I think if you included Kuzma in a trade package involving KCP and Quinn Cook's salary, you could probably get a player of equal value and probably a better fit with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, just like as a catch-and-shoot guy, a 3-and-D guy, what what have you. The real issue, or the real problem you run into with Kuzma is his contract alone. For what he's making and the type of production he gives, you're just not going to find equal yep. value. He's He is damn good for what he's making and the type of control the Lakers have on him over the next three years, I believe, until he hits uh, restricted free agency. No, it's 2021 he'll hit restricted mm-hmm. free agency, which 
that's interesting too. But we won't get too deep into that uh, because we do have an interview with Danny Green to get to. But it is interesting because if you look at their cap space for 2021, assuming LeBron James opts in, and I'm not super confident he will, which worries me a little bit. Uh, but assuming LeBron James opts in and Anthony Davis signs the full five-year max, they do not have cap space to sign Giannis and keep Kuzma, which if you're signing Giannis and pairing him with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, yeah. <laughs> if, if you sign those three guys, losing Kuzma might not be the worst thing in the world. Uh, but if they know they're going to keep him around, I don't know. Again, won't get too deep into it. I'm thinking I was going to say, I'm not going to worry about the prospects of Giannis <laughs> coming because I did that for many years. I ha- we have a very good Lakers team that I would much rather watch yeah. them play <laughs> rather than worry about whether LeBron's going to opt in two years down You're the road. You're absolutely this, right. This is, it's like, I don't even know, refreshing almost to finally have a good team again because like tonight the fourth quarter was a blowout against a really good team and I could just kind of get some other things done <laughs> instead of watching right. uh <laughs> sitting at my computer at my TV watching the fourth quarter. And um, it's just refreshing, like, going into these last two games. I wasn't dreading them. I was actually, like, excited about seeing how the Lakers stacked up against two of the better teams in the conference. Um, And come to find out that they made a hell of a statement, Um, which is, again, refreshing because none of the teams in the last – five years or so would have come close to doing what the Lakers did the last two nights. Um, this team is, yeah. this team's the incredible, only, man. I I completely agree. And really the only player I'm worried about resigning is Anthony Davis. I, but yeah. Judging by the, some of the quotes he's had and stuff, I have <laughs> no worry that he's coming back. The Lakers have done everything they possibly could to uh, appease him. And he's playing well. I would be stunned if he doesn't resign. You can go ahead and clip it and play it on July 2nd or whenever when he doesn't come back. But this man has got exactly what he wanted. The Lakers have done everything they wanted. And he's playing the best basketball of his life on the best team he's ever played on. That man's staying around in L.A. for a while. You... Keep preaching that, Jacob Brood, and I will follow you <laughs> into the dark. I will follow you, you wherever follow me you off go. A cliff by the summertime, but that's a long way away. <laughs> well, the only the only team that really worried me is the Chicago Bulls. They're just because I think the prospect. Yeah, exactly. The prospect of playing home might have been attractive to him, uh, but I, don't, I I do not see that happening anymore. As long as Jim <laughs> Boylan's the head coach there. Uh, and Laurie Markinen looks like uh, somebody compared him to a supersized Ryan Anderson. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> I know, I know, it's bad. Things aren't great in Chicago right now. But yeah, as long as as long as that's going on, I feel pretty good about the Lakers' chances. Uh, Jacob, our conversation is done, but the second half of our show is dedicated to an interview with Danny Green that I did because you were feeling under the weather, or. My theory is that you're just ducking Danny Green. Yeah, because he's a North Carolina guy. I didn't even think of that, and Harrison immediately <laughs> called me out on it. I'm like, Ugh, maybe I should have went and asked him 
couple Duke questions. But if I recall correctly, he owned Duke whenever he was there. So maybe that I mean yeah, sounds so right. I'm ducking Danny Green. <laughs> it was a good it was a good conversation. Uh you got a few questions in there in spite of you not being there. Your spirit <laughs> lived on in the conversation. Uh he talks about load management, which is a topic of interest, I think, to a few people, because I mean, I think again on Wednesday, he played like 20 minutes. Don't know how many fourth quarter minutes he played, but um, I think on the season he's averaging not a lot. So I asked him about that. Uh, And we also talked about the difference between LeBron and Kawhi, which is another. Sorry, I have a hiccup. Like I said, I swallowed that Olive Garden, (laughs) and it's trying to come back up and say hello. But, um, yeah, it was a a good conversation, so stick around for that. Uh, And... Once you're done with that, have a nice weekend uh, and get your holiday shopping done while you can because I haven't done any. So anybody that's been listening to this podcast for a while knows that we don't have too many guests on the show. Um, Before, it used to be just me and Grant. Now it's just me and Jacob. And when they're not available, sometimes I'll I'll have somebody on, whether it's Sabrina Merchant, Alex Regla we've had on the show, Ollie Bapornia, Silver screen and roll staff. Uh, today, it, what's technically my first guest outside of the silver screen and roll peeps, uh, is the starting shooting guard for the Los Angeles Lakers, Danny Green, which I'd say isn't a bad first guest to have on the pod. Uh, before we get started, Danny, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. And yourself? I am doing all right. So we're about 20 games into the season now, and you guys have gotten off to a great start in the regular season. Uh, but I know you guys have bigger plans than just winning a bunch of regular season games. As somebody who's been a part of two different championship teams, one as recent as this June, uh, is is there anything that stood out to you about this team so far as characteristics or traits of of someone or a team that can go all the way at the end of the season? Uh, yeah, defensively, we've been uh, pretty exceptional at moments at times. And uh, so our chemistry off the court has been really good. Um, those are definitely two good key signs of a team that could be you know, potentially the last team standing. So, Does it even feel like that, that championship run with the Toronto Raptors happened this year? Because when we're recording this, it's the beginning of December, which means that you were lifting the Larry O'Brien trophy over your head like less than six months ago. <laughs> uh, not really, actually. seems like it was a... I mean, time goes by, goes by so fast. Um, I was like, the same time it seems like it was like yesterday close, but the same time it seems like it was ages ago, uh, which is weird. Um, because it, I guess it makes you, when you're in a different city or a new team, it makes it seem like it was a, you know, a while ago because I'm with a new group. I'm in a different area and we're doing, uh, you know, trying to do this with different uh, teams, so. How has LA been to you now that you've had a few months to settle in? I know, I know the time change probably took some getting used to, but I mean, the wet, the the Southern California winters compared to the unforgiving winters in Canada has to be at least a little easier on the skin. Uh, yeah, for sure, it's been amazing. I can't complain at all. Um, <laughs> the fun, the weather's been intoxicated. I'm enjoying it, but the city's been 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 great. The fans made it easy. Um, the city's made it easy. It's everything here that we, we need. Um, close to the facility, you know, by the beach. It's 
amazing. So I can't complain at all. Now, we've mentioned a few times already that it is early in the season, but one trend I have noticed to start the season is how many minutes you're playing. So you're averaging 25.3 minutes per game, which isn't far from your career average, but you're averaging 5.4 minutes per game in the fourth quarter, which is among the lowest on the team, or at least anybody that's playing regular rotation minutes. I'm curious as to whether or not that's a conversation you and Frank Vogel had before the season started, or it's just something that you two have played by ear and he's he's kept you on the loop on. Well, we play by ear. I think every person, every every player knows on this team. But the bigger picture is it's not about how many minutes. Obviously, um, start season we all played a lot of minutes. The first game, um, and probably had to figure out what was best for everybody. But figure out different lineups. You know, that, that's pretty much. And his job is, and I feel bad for him because there's so many great players on this team. Right. Um, but some games you're going to play a lot of minutes too when we're, um, you know, it's close or if you're playing well. And some games you're not. Um, or uh, it might not be close. Where uh, you know, 10, 15, or 20, and you're going to sit. Or, you know, other guys have a roll in the fourth quarter. Um, you got to go with the lineups that are rolling and what we need. So everybody knows that the big fiction is not about, not about me or my minutes or, you know, whose turn or who should be playing this or who. Um, you know, we're all here collectively to try to win, have the best season possible, and also try to win the NBA championship. Right, but as somebody that's coming off of fresh off of a championship run, uh, and as someone who also played a ton of playoff minutes with those successful Spurs teams, are your minutes something you feel should be monitored? Um, I never really thought about it that much. Um, but I'm sure it, it, everybody's minutes need to be monitored as you know, older veterans. Uh, especially on the team as deep as this is, um, we don't need that many guys. But you know, 82 games, it's hard to play a full season and not be burnt out by playoffs if you're playing. You know, 35 plus minutes, you know, 40, you know, 40 minutes. It's uh, too much for any guy, any person. Um, so I think everybody's minutes need to be monitored um, throughout the season if you want guys to be healthy and fresh by the end of the season. And how how are you feeling right now physically? I mean, you look good out there, but um, again, thank you. I feel pretty <laughs> solid. I feel pretty solid. Um, had some games where I had some bumps and bruises. Um, some games were under weather. A couple like a little bug going around right now, but. I think everybody, for the most part, is feeling pretty good, myself included. Yeah, I'd say you look pretty good because that putback dunk you had earlier this season, I think it caught <laughs> everybody off guard, including the NBA. And myself, so yes. Um, <laughs> those plays don't happen very often uh, for me. Um, so, yeah, some games, some days you have it, some days you don't, some games you feel good. And it goes you know, game to game, um, day by day. There's been a lot of talk about how this team has performed defensively and rightfully so. I mean, when we're recording this, you guys are a top five defensive team in the NBA. Um, but are, are you a better team or the Lakers a better team defensively than you even thought going into the season? Well, I mean, I know everybody on this team is very capable. Um, you don't really get to see it up close unless you play with them. And to see Avery on the ball was, was something special. And then, Seeing how Le- Le- LeBron's picked up this year has been amazing. You know, that before, obviously, AD is a defensive monster. Um, <laughs> obviously, we have some other guys that can, that can do so many different defensive things with JaVale, Dwight, and then uh, from the guard standpoint, Alex Crusoe's been playing great defense. Uh, Kenny, you know, KCP's been playing great defense. Uh, everybody's been stepping up. Um, but, yeah, to see those those two, see Avery when he's playing the ball and get over screens is, is something special. And then LeBron this year has especially picked it up on that in the floor. 
Right, and a lot has been made about the, I guess, resurgence of LeBron James defensively this season. But as somebody who's played against him a few times in your career and and played with him, what is it exactly that he's doing uh, that is leading to him having such a successful career on the defensive end? Uh, just communicating. Um, for guys to be where they need to be and for himself to be where they need to be. When you talk on defense, it helps you put yourself in position, uh, in the right position. It'll be where you're supposed to be. But telling guys where to be, telling guys where to go. Um, also, figuring out what is working against certain players, certain teams. Um, but, you know, he's been active and he's been communicating a ton. You're one of the few players in the league that's actually played with LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard, two of the best three small forwards in the league today. Um, I know it's early in the season, but you did have that one-year overlap with him in Cleveland and and obviously this season. So I was wondering if you could talk me through uh, the differences you've experienced in in playing with LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard, uh, both as leaders and on the court. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they both make the game easier for the guys around them. So that, that's the fun aspect of it. But, um, you know, to see two superstars operate in different ways is, is kind of uh, it's fun. It's fun to watch and fun to play with. You know, obviously, defensively, me and Kawhi grew up together and were defense, defensive tans, uh, tandem. And um, he grown as an offensive player later on. Uh, LeBron has always been an offensive and a facilitator. So um, and, and he made, you know, players around they both make players around better, you know, Bron more of uh, obviously older, more mature, and more of a leader to start when I came in. And, um, you know, this has been a lot of fun, but to see them operate def- uh, differently, but be superstars and lead their teams, so to be, you know, compete and win and be a last team standing uh, has been fun to watch and fun to be a part of. Uh, all right, Danny, before we let you go, I want to talk about the Delta Showtime seat exchange. Uh, obviously, a really great opportunity for Delta clients and, and Lakers fans looking uh, to to see you guys I mean, play some of the best basketball in the NBA right now. Um, uh, what, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that partnership and uh, and the benefit to it? Oh, man, uh it's been an amazing uh, partnership, one I've been most excited for, for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, reached out. They wanted to collab and do something special, which um, I thought was great and fun. Um, not just the fact where we have a partnership, but also have a deal with the fans and, you know, ticket holders. So people who have tickets are able to exchange their tickets, their Lakers tickets for flights anywhere in the U.S., uh, which is amazing. So people who... I guess our season ticket holder have tickets or purchase the tickets early. They're able to use them if they don't want to go to a game to travel. And those who are not able to, you know, get tickets early are able to later on get them now. Um, you know, and also in 2020, they're going to do it again. You know, they filled up the seats within, I guess, two days of the seat exchange. And now they'll do it maybe one, one or two more times in 2020 where fans or people who don't have seats are able to, you know, get them for people who donated to the old chain or to the old get flights for tickets how, how speaking of fans how how has the fan reception been since you've been here been amazing and obviously obviously it's, it's been pretty easy for them to be amazing uh, thus far uh, we've had a little adversity as of late so we'll see how they react to that but for the most part man our fans have been great and they've treated me well they've been excited and happy about the season and, and uh, hopefully they're, they're, they stay that way regardless of the record and how many games we went up loose um, but so far I'm, I'm enjoying it and I think they are too 
Well, you guys are off to a great start. And uh, Dan- Danny, thank you for taking your time out of your day to, to speak with us. It was a pleasure, and uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. We'll need it. The pleasure's all mine. Yeah, have a good one.